From the Jewish Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast, this is the Parsha Pathways Podcast. Dive in to the weekly Torah portion led by rabbis local to Florida's Gulf Coast, Pinellas Pasco, and Hernando Counties. Participate live every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time via Zoom. Visit jewishgulfcoast.org slash Parsha to learn more. Bokir Tov, everyone. Good morning. It is good to see you. Erev Shabbos, a little Torah study to uh, fill our souls, fill our hearts. And uh, so this morning we are studying the Akeda. Okay. I'm bringing in art and poetry because what better way to study this very challenging text than with some midrash, some visuals, some ways to bring the material into our lives a little bit differently, a little bit more creatively. So um, we're looking forward to that. But before we begin, let's go ahead with some blessing of Torah. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu, asok b'divrei Torah, amen v'amen. We're going to soak it up. Let's soak up the Torah. It's not really what it means. It means to be, thank you, God, for commanding us to be busy with words of Torah, but we're like sponges and we're incorporating this, this lesson into our lives um, in a way. <laughs> Let's pick the most challenging text, right? And, um, and see what we can do with it. So I have a message here. Um, yeah, no problem. Uh, we welcome everyone uh, who is with us. And if you need to leave early because your challah is in the oven, you've got to take care of that. Go ahead. Not a problem. I'm going to share my screen. And um, I think we wanted to also just mention shalom and welcome to uh, Federation, uh, Jewish Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast. I might have uh, run over uh, someone's introduction there. Sorry, <laughs> Maxine, if I if I did that to you or Kara. Um, this is Parsha Pathways, and we are ready to begin. So I'm going to share my screen, and we'll have a lot to talk about. Okay, I call this uh, study Echoes of the Akeda because, uh, the, sorry, I'm just scrolling up here. The Akeda is the binding of Isaac. That's just how it's known and short term in, in the field uh, as the Akeda, the binding, uh, the binding of Isaac. And this story appears in Genesis chapter 22. And um, it's, again, it's a challenging text and we will be looking at it together, asking some questions, exploring it, looking at art, looking at poetry and bringing the text into our lives. Um, the Akeda, the Binding of Isaac has captured the imagination of, uh, of the ancients. And here we have an early depiction. This is the seventh, eighth century. Raise your hand if you've been to Beit Alpha Synagogue in the North. Yes, I was there with Kara. We saw it together a few years ago. Um, in fact, it's, it's been there for a while. Um, few centuries, um, but um, I only had a chance to see it recently. Um, and so this depiction here is part of um, sort of a larger mosaic that incorporates the zodiac and um, 
also the four seasons, um, other depictions of the Torah arc um, where the Torah scrolls are kept. So those are some of the things um, that are on that mosaic. But it's interesting that this story of the binding of Isaac, which has no other place in the Bible, in Tanakh, it's not referenced anywhere else. It's referenced in prayers. Uh, it's referenced in liturgy. It's referenced in art and in Midrash. But it's not something that like the Torah goes back to and discusses. Um, nevertheless, it um, has been a main text, uh, a springboard text for in Christianity, in Islam. Uh, all three religions um, hold this text as a, as a core narrative in a way, um, even though it doesn't appear in other um, biblical works. Okay, so um, some of us are having some muting issues, including me. I don't know. There's a lot of phones going up, so I'll try to, to deal with that. But um, anyone else, if, if you're in a distracting environment, just, you know, go ahead and and mute unless you, you want to go ahead and, and participate, which I hope you will want to. So um, we won't spend a lot of time on this on this image because I want to look at some others. But what do you notice in this early depiction, in this mosaic, um, fascinating as it is? Um, and what do you see maybe is missing? Um, so please unmute and just call it out. What are you seeing here? It looks like there's a hand in the middle. Mm -hmm. Good. Hand, right? Probably the angel's hands. Yeah. Okay. Again, this is mosaic. It's pretty primitive in, in a way, the, this depiction. Um, for those of you who are listening, we're looking at the Beit Shan, uh, sorry, Beit Alpha synagogue um, in the north of Israel. Okay, good. So we have the hand right in the center. So, so what does that say about the hand if it's in the center? Primary. Yeah. Right, key to the narrative. Okay. What else do you observe, Star or anyone else? The Lulav. Oh gosh. Okay. Is that Gil? Yeah. Yes. You know what? This is so interesting. This is a this is a I think um, from some of the research that I've you know looked at um, of this particular piece, because it is somewhat challenging. Um, this does look like a Lulav, but it's the it's the bush that the ram is is uh, stuck in the bush. Um, why is the, the ram perpendicular? Like why isn't it, doesn't seem to fit in the plane? Like were they just kind of like fitting it in? It looks like it's walking up the tree, um, but it's supposed to be like it's stuck in the tree. Here it may appear like it's bound to the tree. Um, so vihine ayo. Okay, so either the aisle, this the ram is um, shaking a lulav, or it's climbing a tree, or there's something spatially awkward going on here. <laughs> so good, good eye. Um, the al tishlach, you might see the hand is saying, "Don't touch the baby, don't the baby, don't touch the child, or the 38 year old man." However, you want to depict Isaac, uh, you know, leave him, don't harm him. The angel is saying, and you know, Hine Ayo, this is the ram they're telling us. Okay, what else do you see? It looked like a, like a place to the right. Like, that could be like a, an ark or something, uh, and almost like a burning bush on top. Or, I mean, you know. exactly, exactly. So this is, is like the altar. Um, yeah. And here is Isaac 
And it's like Abraham is throwing Isaac on the altar. I think they were doing the best with what they what they had. Mm-hmm definitely better than I could do. Right. But um, that, yes. So the altar with the fire prominent um, also toward the side, which is actually a fascinating point because it's not exactly the centerpiece of it. The eye sort of has to move that way. um, Whereas the center is really the hand of God, the Ram, um, which also it has implications for Christianity as well. We're not going to go into that as much in this class, although I um, have taught the story of the binding of Isaac from the perspectives of the three faiths, and it's really one of my favorite things to teach, so we'll have to do that another time. Um, Here you have the two lads, okay, and the donkey. Um, Just if your memory of the text, though, who's missing here? Who's missing in this story? The storyboard, rather. Okay, I think we're missing Sarah, (laughs) but they might not think they're missing Sarah, but she's not here. Okay, and that's not uh, unique because in many of the depictions of the Akeda, she doesn't appear. We will look at one where where she is. Um, Here's one a little more recent, Rembrandt. Is she in the story? Right, that's another question. Where is Sarah in the story? So as part of our um, discussion today, Um, I would like to talk about, if you would, uh, where is Sarah? Um, What's going on with her? Um, That could be, again, a whole lesson of itself as well. Let's take a look at this Rembrandt. So we're looking at 1635, and this is in the Hermitage. So what are you seeing here? Are you getting the full effect of this? I mean, you can study it more online. But um, remember what we talked about, what is center focus? Uh, in that, in the mosaic versus this one, what would you say is the the focus here? Let me see if I could fill this up, fill up the screen. Okay. Oh, the ram. Where? Oh, where's the ram? Right at the bottom, right here. No. Are you in the Rembrandt? Yeah, it looks like my eyesight isn't that good, I admit. But okay. what is that white thing at the bottom? That, that isn't uh, Isaac, is it? Yes. Oh my this God. Frightening. It is frightening. So Rembrandt you know, may have want, wanted to be showing off how amazing he can paint hands because that's actually very hard. <laughs> but the, the grip he has on Isaac's face, okay? Mm. What would you say is the tone? Yeah, go the ahead. The ram is over to the left, just oh. sort of in a, a shadow. Okay, nope, good. Nope, not that far left. Move to the right a little. Right under the uh, the scabbard. There. Okay. Great. Okay, good. Could be. All right. So, w- the prominent piece of this art. Would you, would you say is what? I mean, he's, he has a close-up here. So we have right, the angel. Notice the delicate way that the angel is holding Abraham's face. Look at Abraham as he looks at the angel's face. The angel's gaze is on Isaac. Right, this is the knife. Look at the detail of the knife. 
I mean, this is like, you need to spend a lot of time on this piece. <laughs> we could do a whole piece, a whole class on this piece alone, but the detail and the, the, the it's fraught, right? The tension. Um, and yet that delicate placement of the hand just really gets me on this one, as opposed to the way that Abraham grips his son's face. Oh, there's a yeah? Jay? There's a darkness surrounding the whole scene, except over the angel's shoulder, the sky gets light. Mm, yes. And the angel's grabbing and you know, Abraham's startled and the knife is dropping. Yeah. Right. Fascinating. Right. These details like tell us, fill in where the text leaves off. Right, the white space and the black space. And this is allowed, it's encouraged in Judaism to explore, to find meaning and to fill in, okay? Because we'll look at the text in a moment. You'll see that it's quite terse. We, that we, we could use paintings like this to fill in that emotional state. Okay, just one more I want to show you. Oh, sorry. Oh, no. Rabbi David, comment. Can't hear. Can't hear. Okay. So, so, uh, Rabbi, thank you for joining. You're muted. So, can you? Is there, they can't hear you. I can, but they can't. Okay. It would be, okay. Go ahead. That he's depicting the, the ram, I mean, the, the body as a 37 uh, year old, right? Yeah. Okay. So you could also come sit next to me. I would be fine. Okay. So, um, right. As opposed to the child. So it's sort of like concretizing that aspect of the Midrash that may be un, uh, or the text that may be unclear. Okay. Um, the next one I want to look at is anyone guess who's the artist? Chagall. Oh. Oh. Okay. So we have Chagall here. Anyone, has anyone ever seen this one? It's the museum in the National Museum uh, Biblique. Anyone ever see this one in person? Byron saying yes. Okay. Where does this, uh, what do you observe here? It's a little bit different, right? Fills in a little differently than the other texts, uh, the other uh, images. Well, there's what a do cross, you notice? There's a cross there. Yes. Which, which Chagall did a lot of stuff that, you know, he had a lot of Christian things in with a lot of his paintings. Yes. The cross, um, the ascent, there is something, um, again, we will study, we, we can uh, study Christianity through this text as well. Um, so that is there. We can't ignore it. Okay. And it's almost like in the upper corner. So it's not like the foundation idea, but it's like a future, like telling the future um, through the art. Okay. What else? I wonder if that's Sarah next to the tree. So many people look at this and don't notice that Sarah's there. And yeah, she struck me right away this time. <laughs> Most depictions of the Akeda do not um, depict her at all. But here we have the ram and we have Sarah looking on, looking on. And across the piece, right, another like female figure holding the child. This could be Mother Mary and Jesus. Um, we'll, we will need to look at this with um, some annotation, right? But the angel, again, a delicate um, depiction here. Um, 
Abraham eyes on the angel, right? Isn't that fascinating? In so many of the, the depictions, right? Abraham is called to look up. Some others he's digging in and looking at his boy, but um, I love the ones where he's looking toward the angel. And Isaac here, does he doesn't even look bound, you know, willing. Um, some of the uh, depictions, he's more tortured looking. Um, some he's facing down, others he's facing up, which we'll talk about in the Midrash, why him facing up is actually um, a powerful message um, and one that carries through to the future of, um, of the Isaac texts. Okay, so, so we're seeing a lot and now we have our, our juices flowing a little bit. I'd like us to turn to the text of Genesis 22. And um, the way I like to read text is to read and ask questions. Okay, we're gonna read this like rabbis. Um, so this is what I want you to do. We're gonna read a sentence, it's not very long. And sorry, I'm gonna move up here. And if you have a question, just shout it out. Okay, maybe we won't have so much decorum but let's, let's do our best with this. And then I would like to dig in a little bit of the echoes of the Akeda, looking at the text through the lens of modern Israeli society and how the text has been refracted through Zionism, okay? And then bringing it back to us. So that is the goal in our 40 minutes together. Good luck, right? Um, so we're gonna read, and if you have no questions, it's okay and no question is off the table, all right? I'd like you to try to use that Malcolm Gladwell blink, you know, response when you're, when you're reading here. The optimal way to do this, and I can only guide you as, as so much right now, but is for you to take your own time after class, maybe, maybe on Shabbat when you're a little less hectic and busy and do this with maybe a, a chavruta partner, you know, a, a study partner and, you'll find that the one-on-one -on -one or the two-on-one, -on -one, if you're two people with a text, things jump out at you more than when you're asked to do that in a, a bigger class setting. So that's just a little mm -hmm. secret of text study that, that could be very effective. All right, so um, I'm just gonna carry us forward because I do wanna move a bit quickly here, but then I will ask for readers a little bit later. So. Vayehi achar hadvarim ha'ela begins sometime after. Sometime after what? Okay, I'll just start us with the questions. God put Abraham to the test. Elohim nisa et Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And he answered, Hineni, here I am. Questions. Why is he calling out for Abraham? He knows where Abraham is. Good, keep going. We're not gonna answer them, okay? We're just gonna ask. So just throw them out there. Abraham has used the phrase Hineni up in other places as well when uh, God has spoken to him. Yes, yes. Right, Why good. Is God even testing Abraham? Right, what do you mean test? Yeah. That's pretty radical. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, why is God, is it, is, it, is it clear that this is a test? The reader knows it's a test. I'll ask questions too, okay? But does, does, does Abraham know it's a test? Hmm. Okay. 
right, we're not answering. Jackie is a Barnard grad. She always wants to answer the questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, so are you, Daniel. Right, right. <laughs> Sometimes we're just going to have to live in the questions just for a few minutes, okay? Okay. Okay, next. Uh, are any other questions? Verse one. Okay. And here I am. Here I am. Okay. I mean, I'm just going to highlight some, some part pieces, some words that are just so, so beautiful, so incredible. He Hineni, Abraham says. Okay. Verse two by Yomer. God says, take your son, your favored one, Isaac, whom you love and go to the lands of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Okay. I'm going to just, I have to say this. Is the Hebrew offer him up as a, as an offering. I mean, is typically translated as an offering, but you could read it. Raise him up. Okay. I'm doing more of a radical rereading, but yeah, it doesn't say specifically to sacrifice him, but to elevate him, raise him up. Okay. Al echad heharim on one of the mountains, Asher Omar Elecha. Questions? Go. Where's the phrase Lecha? Not a question, but this is the area where the Canaanites did their sacrifices. So that Abraham would not have questioned the direction of where he was going. Okay, good. Um, I like Byron what you're saying already, be, I, and, and I will sidebar, okay, because for those of you who are uncomfortable, for, for listeners out there uncomfortable with this text, you could already start with the idea, is this a polemic? What is the, what is the placement of this text? Why do we even have this text? Okay. Um, is Abraham really being asked to sacrifice his son? Right. These are these are valid, good questions, right? But he is being asked. Right? Is he being asked to go to a place that's well known to sacrifice children, sacrifice one's child, you know, one's child? So um, yes, good, Rabbi. Just a comment on the phrase lech lecha, that it's uh, one of those like a literary repetition. It's the calling. You go to this place. He doesn't know where he's going at first. He's going to some place of Sham. And now the same thing. Um, go to a place where I'll show you this. Uh, okay, excellent. Pointing out Lech Lecha. Have we seen these words before? We have. When we first met Abraham, we met yeah. these words. Lech Lecha. Go on this journey unto yourself. These stories are bookends of the Abraham narrative. They open with Lech Lecha, go on this journey, go on this adventure, and it ends with Lech Lecha. We have a little more of Abraham, but really not that much. This is like the end of his, you know, um, well, we have the bur burial of Sarah, but this is like the denouement, I guess you could say, of Abraham's life. Okay, verse three. Vayashkem Avram. So early the next morning, Abraham saddles his donkey, takes with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. He splits the wood for the burnt offering and he set out for the place of which God had told him. All right, questions? Yeah. 
it's just hard to believe how he is not saying no way, Jose. He's just he's just doing it. Right. Where's the response, Abraham? We know from the beginning of of this week's Torah portion, Vayera, that he knows how to argue with God. He does it effectively. He does it very well. Not a peep. Why are you not arguing here, Abraham? Right. Good question. You may also ask in verse two, which we skipped over, where it says, take your son, your favored one, Isaac, whom you love. These are all like prompts where maybe Isaac, uh, Abraham is saying the Midrash fills in what, you know, the Torah that does not waste words. Why is the Torah parsing so much here? Take your son, which son, your favorite one. Oh, but, but I love them both. Okay. Isaac. <laughs> oh, Isaac. <laughs> Are you sure? Because you just told me to, you know, it was just like this big deal that I would have this son, Isaac, and now you're going to take him away from me. Oh, whom you love. Okay, well, now it's not, now it's in abundantly clear which son is meant. Right? So the Midrash does, you know, takes off on these words here um, to help us to understand maybe, maybe Abraham was stalling a little bit in the beginning, not arguing, but just trying to like, uh, you know, stall, clarify, um, isn't so easy going into the process. Okay, verse, um, all right. Why is he waking up? So, you know, he not only is he not arguing, but he's getting up early to do it. That's called zrizuts is a is a conventional term for um, the uh, for um, in Musar in like the moral direction and living. Do do things in life. Do your mitzvot with enthusiasm, with alacrity. Right. We learn that from from this text. Don't wait to do something important. Don't put it off. Right, like Covey says, and highly uh, habits of highly effective leaders. Right, if something's important, you do it first. You don't put that off. Okay, so that alacrity we're seeing in this text, in addition to the um, what we're not seeing any uh, arguing oh, here. I have a question: Why yes. is he taking servants who will act as witnesses to this po possibly horrible deed? Fantastic. Good. Why is he bringing servants? Who are the servants? Okay, because the text doesn't say, but it, the Midrash fills in that it's Eliezer, his like main servant, and Yishmael. And the Midrash loves that Yishmael's there. Can you imagine the older brother, the one who was kind of cast off, and then watching all this unfold? incredibly dramatic. You could just see the smirk on his face the entire time. All right, so we have Yishmael and Eliezer, uh, perhaps, right? And why are they there? What purpose do they serve? Okay, verse, verse four. We, we do not have Sarah. Where is Sarah? Okay, thank you, Bev. Good question. Where is she? Okay, so Pica uh, not Picasso. Um, Chagall knows where Sarah is, right? <laughs> but the text itself doesn't seem to know. Okay, verse four. On the third day, by Yomashlishi, Abraham looked up and saw the place from afar. Questions? Okay, I love uh, the question of what do you, it doesn't say, uh, if someone needs to mute, there's just some music in the background. I'm not sure who it is. Um, okay, so- It's a um, long trip. Yeah, it's a long trip, a three days journey. All right, good. 
um, and he sees the place, Hamakom. Oh, um, uh, 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 that's another name often for God. Where God is. Yes. So where you want to ask, where is God in this? Uh oh, internet un unstable. Are you guys still with me? Yeah. Okay. Where is God in the story? Well, here is 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 maybe a place, right? Meirachok from afar. I never noticed that before. But that just really got me going, okay? That he sees God from afar, right? Or he sees the place, simply the mountain, where he, Mount Moriah, where he was asked to go. Verse five. Question, Rabbi? He lifts his eyes. Also, like, uh, is depicted in the paintings also looking up. Right. Lifting up his eyes, right? So what might that conjure up for you? Um, this kind of, you know, or even for Abraham, this, that posture of lifting the eyes. Okay. It's not just seeing, but there's a lifting of the eyes. Okay. No. I mean, that is, yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, almost an aliyah. Going up. Yes. Again, right. Because that is a, a trope in this text of the up, the raising up, going up, lifting up. Good. Looking for answers. Looking for, looking for answers. Direction. direction. Good. Okay, verse five, Vayomer Avram, and Abraham says to his servants, on the Arav, the lads, the lads, they're not really depicted as servants, but lads. Um, you stay here with the donkey, Mahamur, the boy and I will go up. Ani Vehanaar. And that's why it gets confusing, right? Naar, he's a young man. I mean, 38 in those days, well, I guess compared to 120 is not. <laughs> right but how old is this kid right um you stay here and the boy and i will go up we will worship and we will return with you we will worship is a posture remember we just talked about the lifting up the going up what's nishtachave to lay down Bending. Worship in the sense of like prostrate yourself. Okay. Oh. So that um, dyad is, is built into this, you know, literary dyad into the text of the going up and the going down. All right. Questions, verse five. He says, we will return to you. Well. Yes. That uh, is a good thing. Uh-huh. I like the fact that he says, we will return to you. He does not really expect to have to sacrifice. Right. It raises the question. Yep. Does he expect to sacrifice? Right. What does it mean to say we will return? So that, you know, when you when you connect that with Venisa Avraham and Abraham was tested, you know, there's some, you know, or is he lying? Right? You you could ask a lot of questions. Nobody's gonna strike you with lightning, okay? A little deception. Go ahead, yeah. Deception, uh, right? Suggests a little deception, doesn't want to tip anybody off. Right, right. Okay, so these are all valid questions. Does he expect to come back with Isaac or does he not expect to come back with Isaac, but he doesn't want to raise any alarm at this moment? Good, verse six. Abraham takes the wood, took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on his son Isaac. He himself took the fire stone, 
that. And the knife and the two walked off together. Questions? How can Isaac just go along with all this? <laughs> yeah, let's cut to the chase, right? How does he just go? Okay, yeah, okay. He, he, he just takes the wood. There's no discussion about it. He just gives it to him, okay? And they walk together. Um, you could fill in what might that walk have been like in those few moments there, right? What were they thinking, each of them? They're, no, they're not talking until verse seven. Let's see. And then Isaac said to his father, Abraham, okay? said to Abraham, Aviv. It does say that. It doesn't say to his father. doesn't say to Abraham, but it says to his father, Abraham, Vayomer, Avi, father. And he answers, yes, my son, Vayomer, Hineni, Bani. And he said, here is the firestone and the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? So terse. Vayomer Yitzchak el Abraham Aviv. Vayomer Avi. Vayomer. Hineni Bani. Vayomer. Hine ha'esh va'etzim. Va'aye ha'se la'ola. Questions? No, it gives me like a hit in my head. It gives me a shiver. He's kind of getting the idea of what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This is like a loaded question. Right. Yeah. Is it? Is it? You know, I'm not answering. Is it a loaded question? What? How, what? We don't know the tone. What is the tone of the question? Does he really not know? Or is he asking in a way where he's now figuring it out? OK. Um, is there something else that he wants to say? OK. All right. Uh, well, how does he know it's a set? Why does it, why does Isaac think specifically it will be a sheep? Okay. Uh, these are just questions. Why does he say Abraham, my the father? Why does the text say? Why not just Abraham or why not just his father? Okay. Um, next, verse eight. Vayomer Avram, God answers, or God said, uh, sorry, Abraham said, God will see to the sheep for his burnt offering, my son. And the two of them were, walk together. Vayomer Avraham, Elohim Yirelo Haselo Labani, Veyalchu Shnehem Yachtav. Questions? Why does it say twice, Veyalchu Shnehem Yachtav? It says, and they walked on together. Verse six, they walked on together. Yeah. More walking than talking, right? Yeah. Contemplative, yes. Uh, Abraham had this uh, trust in God, and he also, the two of them had trust in each other. Oh, so rabbis here, uh, he says that they, he has, did you all hear what he said? Okay, no. so that, Ab that Abraham had trust in God, and the two of them had trust in each other. Two of them had trust in each other. Okay, amazing. And, and then it's sufficiently ambiguous. The first by your that God will see for for himself. God which is the set. God will so it's 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 a strange locution. Your elo that he will see for himself which is the set, which is the offering. Right? It's 
may, why is it so ambiguous? Um, we can answer, but it's it's I, it's I not it's straightforward. Like, I think it's from that verse that the Pirkei says that you know includes the set, you know, things that were created by Hashem. Oh, okay. So this set was created uh, as a myst as a mystical creation. It was created as in the midrash. It says in Pirkei Avot that the offering what was created Ben Hashmashot after all of creation, but before Shabbat. So essentially, like this evening at twilight before Shabbat officially comes in. Can do you think you could sit over here because they can't hear you? Some of them can't hear you. It would be better. Okay. Hi. I'm Maxine Kaufman, Executive Director of the Jewish Federation of Florida's Gulf Coast, and I'm quickly interrupting this episode to tell you a bit about the organization that brings you the Parsha Pathways podcast. Welcome to the world of the Jewish Federation, where the Jewish values of compassion, charity, generosity, and responsibility inspire us to improve the quality of life for people in our community, in Israel, and around the world every day. It is time to meet the challenges of modern Jewish life, both at home and overseas, and to provide the financial resources needed to fund the many services, programs, and activities that are demanded of us to sustain and continue to grow a strong, vital, and vibrant Jewish life. Programs like Parsha Pathways are brought to you free of charge, but donations are always welcome. Visit jewishgulfcoast.org slash donate to learn more. Verse 9. They arrived at the place. Remember the place? They arrived at the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there. He laid out the wood. He bound his son, Isaac. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Questions? Uh, I can recall one uh, time uh, during the High Holy Days, we had acted this scene and I had to leave the room. I could not stand it. I'm sorry, someone reenacted the scene in your synagogue? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, they were, uh, yeah, uh, different congregants took different parts, Isaac, the angel, the servants. But this was the part at which I had to leave the room. Yeah. But but no animals were hurt in the uh, production of the. Uh... No, well, we had we had no access to sheep. Okay. No, that is fascinating. Yeah, you could do it, right? It brings it out more than just reading it, right? If you were had if you had actors on the stage, or like what we saw with the art, there's another layer of emotion. Um, yeah. Okay, good. So, so what was going through Isaac's head as he was lying down and not resisting being put on the altar? Yeah, thank you, right? What's going through Isaac's head is really what we all want to know here. Um, it, was there a struggle? Um, what position was he laid in? Um, what, did, what was used for the binding? How much binding was really needed? You know? Um, and, and, and what, of course, you know, was Isaac thinking? And what was Abraham thinking? Okay. Theoretically, he's a younger 
potentially stronger person physically. So he, you know, if there was resistance, the binding would have been difficult. Yeah. If, unless there was intervention helping Abraham. Very good. That's, you know, again, in, a, in another class, when you talk about the, the Christology, the, 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 the Christ figure is Isaac, um, you know, doesn't run away. You know, this is his fate. He has the faith of Isaac becomes like a whole um, body of literature and, um, you know, theology in and of itself. What that faith of Isaac, um, as opposed to the faith of Abraham. Um, so that's. That, that is a subject. <laughs> um, so what, you know, what is going on here? Okay, so Vayishlach Abraham et Yado, Abraham picked up the knife, Vayishlach Abraham et Yado, Vayikach et HaMachelet, Lishchot et Beno. So now, <laughs> there's no question about what's going to happen, right? Or what's supposed, well, what Abraham will be doing. This is, this is the action verse. If you didn't know, if you were unsure, if you thought it was something else, this is, explicit <laughs> and no arguing yeah say it again jay and no arguing there's no resistance no arguing no please explain to me why you're doing you know why we're doing this right. um i can't take total credit on that i've heard some past discussions but of course it's pretty intense you know, yeah argue. yeah no, I, I definitely hope this isn't your first rodeo, you guys, on this text. Okay. <laughs> right. So so no um no discussion, just action. Right. No but more delaying. Yeah. Beth? In, in verse eleven, an angel called out, but in verse twelve, God is speaking. Okay, love it. God, right, God offers the direction. Now in verse, yeah, let's loop, move a little more quickly because we, we got the idea. May cry love malach Adonai. An angel calls. Where is God? Where is God? Why is an angel calling? Thank you, Bev. Okay, from this from the Shemayim, from the sky, and says, Avram, Avram. And Avram says, Hineni. You might ask, why is the angel calling Abraham twice? Why twice? And that line in between, right? There's something going on there. Um, why does the why does the angel need to call twice? Um, okay, and then the angel explains, "Al tishlach yadcha." Do not raise your hand against the boy. And that was remember, "Al tishlach yadcha." That was in the that mosaic piece. Don't raise your hand against the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know you fear me. Ki ata. Now I know. Ki yere Elohim ata. I know you are fearful of God. Okay, since you have not withheld your son, your favored one from me. Again, that um, reiteration of language, your son, your only son, right? Your loved one is from, from me. Okay. Vaisa um, Abraham at Enav, he lifts his eyes and he sees what? The ayil. Now, what, Rabbi, what's the difference between an ayil and a se? Why is the story about a se and a se? And now we have an ayil. The uh, aisle is the ram, instead of the sheep, and uh, well, it has to have a horn. So they expect it to have a sheep, right? Where's the sheep, Dad? But it becomes a ram. The ram has a horn, 
the horn becomes emblematic of, you know, what this story means, right? Exactly, the shofar and the story of faith and the wake-up call, right? This story, is it a wake-up call? If it is to what, right? In, in its context versus, you know, the echoes of the story in, in later years. Um, so it's, it's critical that it becomes a ram, that it's not just a sheep to slaughter, right? But there's a ram, that's a different sort of metaphor, yeah, and, it, and the ram that has to get caught in the thicket, but I'm not sure that uh, you know if one is specifically for an olah and one is for something else, a hatat, but it's not you know it's anachronistic. So there, there's there's some uh, discussion here about uh, you know the halachic implication of a of a, a ram versus a sheep. That is uh, beyond my pay grade. So we'll just <laughs> have to do some research on that. Um, okay, so Vaikra, uh, did we get the Beit Aleph uh, synagogue picture doesn't have horns on the sheep. Very, very good eye. Exactly. Some of the, the artistic depictions uh, show a sheep and a ram because they're picking up on a different aspect of the story, uh, not. <laughs> exactly how it goes. All right, so Abraham calls this site Adonaira. Um oh sorry. Yeah, so he he's his uh, sorry, his eyes fell. Okay. Again, lifting his eyes one more time. Lift his eyes. And again, it's like locution and it just means like something he became aware of something, but we can't ignore it that he does lift his eyes. He sees the the ram that will be the offering. It's caught in the thicket by its horns and Vayelech Avraham. And he goes, Vayelech, remember Lech Lecha, another use of that term. He goes and he gets it. Um, even then, we don't get the sense, did Isaac run away <laughs> when Abraham turned his back? Did he participate in the slaughter? Um, so we have more questions we could ask about that. Um, and then Abraham um, offers the ram instead of his son, and he calls the place Adonai Yireh, that um, on the Mount of the Lord, there's a vision. God will see. God will see too, right? Something perhaps. And then the angel of the Lord calls again. Again, you could ask, why doesn't God ask? Why isn't God calling? Remember, he sees God from afar. Here's the angel who's up close. Where is God? So he says, the angel of the Lord calls Abraham a second time from heaven and says, um, by myself, I swear the Lord declares because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your favored one. Kind of repeat. Um, I will bestow my blessing upon you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in heaven. We know this, right? The sands of the seashore and your descendants shall seize the gates of their foes. Um, so many more questions we could ask. Um, the nation shall bless the, themselves by your descendants because you've obeyed my command. You've obeyed my command, right? So was the command to sacrifice or was the command to not sacrifice? So just to uh, reiterate now, Abraham then returns with his servants. Who returns? Abraham. Where is Isaac? Where you we don't know, okay? So that's why some of the later commentators uh, and also in Christianity go with the idea that he was slaughtered. Was he slaughtered? Was he not? 
or that he went elsewhere. He said, I'm not going home with you. You just got ready to kill me. <laughs> yeah, that to me is a reading that makes a lot of sense, right? What would it have looked like if they walked back together? What, what happens to their relationship at this point? And you might know that they never speak again in the text. There's no further dialogue between Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham needs to find a wife for Isaac, he sends Eliezer. He speaks only through Eliezer. There's no discussion between the two of them. So, um, oh, is it 11.50? Guys, I had a big plans for us. So um, let's just take a look at a few, a few things. What? Yeah, I was going to say that that the promise or the 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 way the ritual is supposed to work is that if you sacrifice then in return you will have uh prosperity or increased fertility and later on in exodus when we have the laws of petarechem that it says all of the first born and the first of your fruits shall be offered to the except for you know you shall redeem your firstborn yeah and that specifically the reward is not for the act of sacrifice but for the willingness to do it <clears throat> the reward is for the willingness but not for the act itself so some say that this text in its entirety is really just a point a polemic about we do not child sacrifice in our tradition in judaism that it may look like that was going to happen but it didn't that the act of faith is what's the driving idea the, the light motif here um, of faith in God, but not in, you know, murder. Um, I want to point out a few things um, in the short time that we have. Um, I don't want to call it ephemera, but there's just so many different directions we could go. Um, but I, and I don't want to ignore any of them. So I just have to give you a few. Okay. So one is this idea of, of um, the directionality of Isaac. Do you imagine that he's forward you know, when uh, laying down, or do you imagine that he's laying upward if you had to imagine him? Oh, I would think that he would be laying face upward. It would be very difficult to kill somebody from the back. Okay, so facing upward, anyone have a, a differing opinion? Byron? It lends to the Midrash that the angels cried and the tears fell in his eyes. And that's why Isaac had such weak eyes later on. Okay, good. All right. So, so in um, the Midrash, you know, the stories that come out of Islam, you're seeing him face down, but in the Midrash, cause we don't know that come out of Judaism in the Jewish texts, he's face up. And, um, it, you know, that's why it's really fascinating in the art, you know, this idea that he looks up at the angel. How can you look at your own child's eyes as you're about to murder him? It's like very it intensifies the story. And yet the rabbis, as Byron said, like the idea that he's facing up because it brings this extra tension here that the angels are crying when they're seeing this happen and their tears blinded Isaac. So that later in the Isaac cycle, we learn that he's blind. He's not the only one who's <laughs> ever been blind, the, but that it seems to be like highlighted in an important piece of the Isaac story that he's he's blind later in life. And it comes from this story, this text of terror, OK, that he becomes blinded in the process. Um, I want to take a look at um, 
another piece actually before this, I wanted to get into the Israeli culture, but um, probably we'll just end with that. Sorry for scrolling. One more idea, which is uh, Sarah. People say, where's Sarah in the story? All right, that may have been your, some, some of you I know are asking that question. Um, there is a midrash that, uh, this is from the Tanhuma, about ninth century, that talks about um, how Satan came to fool Sarah. And in one version of the story, Satan comes and he asks Sarah in this nefarious way, where's your son? Where's your son? And um, Sarah is like, oh, he, he went you know, with, with his father to, to study, to, to prepare, you know, for life, you know, to, to become a man. <laughs> and the Satan says, don't you know, don't you know that your husband has taken your son to kill him? And according to one Midrash, she dies right there on the spot. And that's why the very next chapter in the Torah opens, um, Chaye Sarah, that Sarah dies and the, the years of her life are, you know, was it hundred and sorry, 75 years? Yeah, okay. That, that she dies from the news that, that she believes that Isaac died. In another version, she dies from the news, almost dies from the news, but then, then the, the Satan finishes his sentence and says, only Abraham wanted to slaughter Isaac, but he didn't. And she dies from the news that he almost <laughs> died, but that he's okay. Like kind of like shock. So there's Sarah in the Midrash there. In another one, um, this is much later, maybe 13th century. Uh, it's an, an Italian. This is from um, Sefer Hayashar. That there's this, it, it goes on and on that Abraham tells Sarah. And again, we don't have time to read it. Um, but I want to just focus on this one part here um, where Sarah says, yes, go with him, uh, but don't, rema don't remain too long because my soul is bound up with his soul because my soul is, and she kisses him and embraces him and loves him and feeds him. And, and she goes on and on, you know, basically trying to not let him go like a typical a Jewish mother, I was going to say, <laughs> right? But she's with him and she dresses him and follows him. And they keep saying, Sarah, go home, go home. And she keeps following them. And they keep saying to her, go, leave, you know, let us leave. So I love that. It's very late relatively as a Midrash. It's not in the text. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the early Midrash. But, but the rabbis do go there eventually. All right, I want to close with just a last couple of pieces. I think we may have time. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I wanted to do these two. Um, two pieces from modern Israeli uh, culture. Okay, this one is Chaim Gori. This one is, he, um, lived, he was born in Tel Aviv. Uh, so he's a, a Sabra, right? 1926, he served in the Haganah in the commando troops during Israel's War of Independence. And his poetry from um, and following the war, uh, World War II, okay, is often described as poignant expression of the sentiments of the war generation. The poem Heritage deals with the relationship between the fathers of that generation and their sons, a common theme in Israeli society in the 50s and 60s. Gori reflects a perspective of the young generation and depicts an old passive one uh, and may even suggest diasporic 
Abraham. So actually, this is couched in, you know, kind of the throwing off of the old type of Jew, right? And creating what is the new type of Jew. So let's take a look. Would someone, the Hebrew is beautiful, but for our shared purposes, would someone read the English? The ram came last of all. Yerusha, okay? Look at what it's called. It's called inheritance. Yerusha. Do we have a reader? Star, go ahead. The ram came last of all. And Abraham did not know that it came to answer the boy's question, first of his strength when his day was on the wane. The old man raised his head, seeing that it was no dream and that the angel stood there, the knife slipped from his hand. The boy, released from his bonds, saw his father's back. Hmm. Isaac, as the story goes, was not sacrificed. He lived for many years, saw what pleasure had to offer until his eyesight dimmed. But he bequeathed that hour to his offspring. They are born with a knife in their hearts. <laughs> wow. I see some of your faces in shock trying to understand this. Anyone have a want to quote, uh, so to speak, take a stab at it? <laughs> what this might mean? Well, actually, uh, if you think about it, uh, Isaac has two sons twins, Jacob and Esau, and they, although they are born almost together, they are opposites and antagonistic to the point where at one point Jacob has to flee to get away from Esau's anger. Yes. So there was a knife between the two brothers. Mm, okay, yeah. But to, but to compare it to the war, I don't, I don't know where he, unless, I can see where he sees, where he calls this poem a heritage. Heritage. So yeah. what is the heritage? What is the, what is, what is the author getting at? If you may, this is, I feel maybe more distinct to Israeli society, but maybe not. So, um, you know, I can leave it with for more as a question for you, but if anyone wants to give an answer of what you think it might mean, what might it mean that we're born with this knife in their hearts? Right, do we ever really shake the Akeda? I mean, look at us today, still studying the story still thinking about what does it mean to sacrifice? What does it mean that we sacrifice our children? Think about in Israel today, I've spoken with many Israelis about this, that there is this narrative in the country, they, they, they take this narrative of the Akedah and they put it center forward in a way in their tradition, even if they're not religious. There's something about this story that is captivating, that there's, that there's this... <sighs> the sacrifice that parents make for their, that their children all go to war, yeah? Serving their country, protecting their country. What does it mean to be a Jew? That we're always diligent, that we're looking out for who is, I don't wanna say coming out for coming after us, but there is an idea here that we're, we're born with a sacrifice. Again, more in Israel, we may feel it than here, but that idea that they can't shake the knife not that their parents are killing them like that, but that the knife itself carries on, okay, for whatever that means. The inheritance is the story, 
right? The inheritance is the knife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, get that. Okay, good. I want to show you one more. Are we at it? We're out of time. Twelve oh one. Okay. So, um, I just wanted. I just love this. I'm keeping you guys. Uh, <laughs> can I have your permission to just stay on like two more minutes? All right. If you need to go, you could go. Um, so Amichai takes this poem to say that the real, this is another, um, a little bit later, Yehuda Amichai, he's an edgy poet, Israeli poet, that the real hero of the binding of Isaac was the ram. Because <laughs> he didn't know about the collusion between the others. He was volunteered to die instead of Isaac. I want to sing a memorial song about him, about his curly wool and his human eyes, about the, about the horns that were so silent on his living head and how they made those horns into shofars when he was slaughtered to the sound of their battle cries or to the blare or to blare out their obscene joy. I want to remember the last frame like a photo in an elegant fashion magazine the young man tanned and pampered in his jazzy suit, and beside him, the angel dressed for a formal reception in a long silk gown, both of them looking with empty eyes at two empty places. And behind them, like a colored backdrop, the ram caught in the thicket before the slaughter, the thicket, his last friend. The angel went home, Isaac went home, Abraham and God had gone long before. But the real hero of the binding of Isaac is the ram. I'll stop my share. So there's, uh, I could, I'd be happy to, to share these texts with you. Just go ahead and, and text, uh, email me or, or Kara and, and I'll, I'll, I'll pass them along. But um, my hope for us uh, this morning was to see that this text echoes on, that the Akeda uh, isn't, uh, wasn't, just sort of left along with the fallen knife in the Bible, but it lives with us. It's a breathing narrative in modern Israel, in poetry and in art. It's a breathing narrative clearly through um, um, the uh, his, uh, through art history. Um, and it's, it's a breathing narrative in, in how we relate to text and how we relate to each other as, as Jews today. What do we sacrifice? What do we feel called to sacrifice? And what maybe are we missing in looking down that the text asks us to lift our eyes and see? May we be blessed to lift our eyes, to see compassion in each other, to see compassion in the text, and to continue reading, to continue learning and growing. And let us say, Amen. Amen. This concludes Parsha Pathways at 12.04 this morning. <laughs> and uh, Maxine or Kara, any further announcements? Thank you, Rabbi. Um, I was listening. I was just not able to be on screen, but um, very, a uh, lot to think about. And then uh, I appreciate it very much. Other, other things that are going on, uh, please remember our campaign kickoff is on November 11th. Um, buy your ticket, one per household. It should be a wonderful virtual event. Uh, Shabbat Shalom. There's so many things going on in our community. Please check out our e-news, the Jewish press. Give us a call. We'll let you know what's going on. Um, we value your participation and uh, value all of you here. Thank you.
Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Parsha Pathways. We hope that this episode filled your heart, mind, and soul with Jewish wisdom. Don't forget to stop by jewishgulfcoast.org to explore everything that the Federation has to offer. And we look forward to bringing you next week's Parsha. Shabbat Shalom.